I was talking with a good friend recently, and he said that something that God really has used in his life is something that I mentioned to him a few years ago, that when we experience the blessings of the grace of God, we have a dark tendency to think, uh-oh, I better watch out for the other shoe to drop. In other words, something bad is probably going to happen now that something good from God has happened in my life. But that is not true. God is for us, not against us. His heart is to bless us because he is that good. Find out more next on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. Well, last time we started taking a look at four incredibly powerful verses in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34. And it's part of our ongoing series, More Than Conquerors in the Darkest of Times. And we're looking at the reality right at this point that God is for us, not against us. We can't always avoid difficult times in our lives, just like the current COVID-19 pandemic that has slammed into our world. However, it is especially important during times of crisis to remember the great truth that because of God's goodness and because of the righteousness of God apart from the law received through faith in Jesus Christ, and because We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and because of propitiation accomplished by his blood satisfying the just wrath of God and all through what the Lord Jesus Christ has already accomplished for us by God's grace Because of all that, and by the way, what I just gave you was found in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 28. Because of that, God is definitely for us, not against us. Well, today, we look at Romans chapter 8, verses 33 to 34. But let's back up a little bit because we've last time and this time been focused on Romans chapter 8, 31 to 34. And here's what it says, beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And now our verses for today, verse 33 and 34, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. That's Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34. Now, 
the highlights of these four verses. Last time we covered the first two points, verses 31 to 32. Point number one, that God is for us. So who can be against us? That's in Romans 8, 31. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, point two, God the Father gave us his own son. And so he freely gives us all things together with him. Well, today we look at points three and four based on verses 33 and 34. Point number three, God is our justifier. Therefore, no one can bring a charge against us, verse 33. And then verse 34, point number four, the one who has the rightful place to condemn righteously, judicially, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is he doing? He died for me. He rose for me. And he is even at the right hand of God. That's the favored place. And he is actually interceding for me. All right, point number three. God is our justifier. Therefore, no one can bring a charge against us. Verse 33 reads, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now, there is so much more about the important subject of justification back in Romans chapter 3, which we covered in part 2 of this series. Remember, justification is a Bible word, and it refers to our good standing with God because Jesus, who already has a good standing with God, has made me just and given me the same good standing before holy God that he himself has. Romans 3, verses 24 to 26 is key. It says this, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Back in the 16th century, the great reformer Martin Luther once declared that the church's doctrine of justification is the doctrine by which the church rises and falls. Folks, that's how important it is that we understand what God says about justification through the Bible. Let me say that quote again from Martin Luther. He said that the church's doctrine of justification is the doctrine by which the church rises and falls. You see, what we understand about justification, that is, our standing with God, is critical to the success of our Christian life. Let me ask you a question, listening friend. How are things between you and God? On a scale of one being real low, all the way out up to ten. How are things between you and God? Just think about that. Think of where you would put yourself on that scale. 
Now, my friend, do you want to know what the truth is? Do you want to know how things are between you and God? It isn't one or two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight or even nine or ten. It's not even a hundred. It's not even a thousand. It's a billion quadrillion. Why can I say that? Because your standing before God is not based upon you. Your standing with God is based upon Jesus and his perfect righteousness, the fact that he has the perfect standing before God. He is just and the justifier of him who has faith in Jesus. Do you have faith in Jesus? Well, guess what, friend? You have shown evidence of the fact that you are justified freely by God's grace. Remember what it says in Romans chapter 1, that in the gospel, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed. Not your righteousness, God's righteousness, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And yet, even though the doctrine of justification, which is so important, it's not just a doctrine, it's a reality And it's critical to the success of our Christian life. Yet many Christians have a short-sighted understanding of what justification means in the Bible, if they even have any understanding at all. They say, to be justified means just as if I never sinned. Well, my friend, that's part of it, but it misses so much. To be justified in the sense of Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 26, means that we are given the exact same standing before Father God that Jesus has. And what kind of a standing does Jesus have before the Father? Remember when he was baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan? And when he arose from the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and a voice of God the Father was heard from heaven saying, This is my own Son, in whom I am well pleased. Well pleased. Jesus standing before the Father is perfect, and Father God is well pleased with him. Guess what, believer? You have the exact same standing. Why? Because Jesus, who has that same amazing standing before his own Father God, he, listen to this, it's because of what it says in Romans 3.26 that he, Jesus, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's all because of what Jesus did for you, which is the Father, God's desire in the first place. This has been God's plan all along. A few years ago, I was listening to uh, Sinclair Ferguson, a Bible teacher, uh, and he was uh, speaking on the program Renewing Your Mind by R.C. Sproul. And he was uh, speaking on the subject of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. And in the midst of that message, he said something really good about understanding what the Bible teaches when it uses this word justification. And he cites Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, 
which says, by his knowledge, my righteous servant, speaking of Jesus, shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. When he makes his soul an offering for sin, by his knowledge, verse 11. This is what Sinclair Ferguson had to say. This is really good. The righteous one, my servant, will make many, not just to be accounted innocent. You understand there is a difference between the gospel and what happens in an ordinary law court. You are either in a law court going to receive a guilty verdict or a not guilty verdict. Don't transfer that to the gospel as though that is all the gospel gives you. No, what the gospel gives you is this, that your sins are imputed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is wounded for transgressions that are ours and iniquities that are ours and a dispeace that is ours and a sickness that is ours. And it becomes his and he takes it. He takes all the judgment against my sin takes all the judgment of his Holy Father against the sin of all of his people. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are not just pronounced not guilty, as though to say, you are free now, start again, try again. No. By his righteous knowledge, perhaps by the knowledge of his righteousness, he will account many to be righteous. By his righteousness, his life of obedience, his obedience to the death of the cross, it's so important for us to understand that what Jesus is doing, says Sinclair Ferguson, throughout the course of his life is obeying his Father in our place. Not just that he may then be qualified to be the perfect sacrifice who is able to bear the judgment of the Father against our sins, but in order that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous one, not only do we understand that our sins have been imputed to him, but we understand that his perfect righteousness is counted as ours as we trust in him. And I love this last part of what Sinclair Ferguson says. He says this, I love to say, and I love to think, and I love to say it again, that you and I can stand before the judgment seat of an infinitely holy God as righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ, because the only righteousness you have to stand before that throne is his righteousness. Man, that's so good. Let me repeat that again. I love to say, and I love to think, and I love to say it again, that you and I can stand before the judgment seat of an infinitely holy God as righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ, because the only righteousness you have to stand before that throne is his righteousness. And again, that's from Sinclair Ferguson. Boy, that really explains things well when we talk about the Bible truth of justification. So, here in Romans chapter 8, verse 33, when it triumphantly declares who 
shall bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. We understand this so much better. Since God has justified us through his Son, the Lord Jesus, and thus given us the exact, incredible, same standing that Jesus has before his own Father God, then no one can bring a charge against us. Dear friend, let me say it again. God is for you, not against you. Oh, and that makes such an incredible difference when you're going through trials. God is not using trials and difficulties to discipline us, as too many Christians wrongly believe. To the contrary, God has already richly blessed every single believer in Christ. We operate out of the place of abundant blessing and abundant favor, no matter our circumstances. And that is a powerful testimony to a struggling, suffering world. Okay, point four in this truth of God being for us, not against us, in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34, verse, here's the point. The one who has the rightful place to condemn righteously, judicially, is the Lord Jesus Christ. But what is he doing? He died for me. He rose for me. He is even at the right hand of God, the favored place, and he is actually interceding for me. Listen to verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You know, when I ask Christians the question, who is the one who condemns? Let me ask you, listening friend, who is the one who condemns? You know, almost universally, I hear Christians say, Satan is the one who condemns. No, he does not. Satan never has condemned and never will. You know, we tend to think that condemnation is a feeling that we get when someone is trying to tear us down. But you see, condemnation is actually, as it's used in the Bible, a legal and judicial term. It is what a judge does in a court of law after the jury has found the defendant guilty. And only a judge can do this. Only a judge can condemn. Not the jury, not the prosecuting attorney, not the defense attorney. Let me say it again. Only a judge can condemn the guilty. Now, the Bible, in fact, tells us that Satan is actually the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12.10. In fact, Satan means, in Hebrew, accuser. But listen, Satan is not the judge of the brethren. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says this, Who is he who condemns? And then it answers, It is Christ. Not the devil, not you, and not anyone else. The only one who has the legal right to condemn is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is this truth expressed here in Romans chapter 8, verse 33, Jesus said, recorded in John 5, 22, he said this, Moreover, the Father judges no one, 
but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And then in John chapter 5, verse 27, it says this, and has given him, the Son, authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. You know, I'd like you to hear something that I wrote a few years ago about this incredible verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. This is called what the intercession of Jesus means for us. Again, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Romans 8 31 to 34. Now notice the judicial language in the words, bring a charge, justifies, condemns, and intercession in this passage. And now from Hebrews chapter 7, beginning at verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety, a guarantee of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests, referring to those in the old covenant, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he, Jesus, did once for all when he offered up himself. And again, that's in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 22 through 27. And then back in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he is numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and listen, made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, verse 12. It says in Romans 8 that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. What is Jesus interceding about? Why is he interceding for us? We don't deserve this. We have committed high treason against God. As it says in Romans 1.18, because of our ungodliness and unrighteousness, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And yet, Jesus has completed all. He lived his life as a man upon this earth perfectly for us. He has fulfilled all of the law. 
setting it aside, and so establishes the new covenant of grace, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus has sacrificed all. He has bled, he died, and all of our wrong has been dealt with at the cross. And so, where now is Jesus? Would you believe it? He is at the right hand of God the Father in the position of highest favor. And in that position of highest favor, he is interceding for you. He is interceding for you. For me. You know, there's a difference between praying for someone and interceding for someone. Christians often use the two interchangeably, but they're not the same. When we're interceding for someone, it's a lot like a lawyer who is interceding on behalf of his client before the bar of the judge in a courtroom. But in this case, it isn't a case that God the Father needs to be convinced to lay off the sinner. No. This has always been the Father's purpose and desire. It is all part of his great loving plan. In fact, when Jesus is interceding, it is the Father who is in Jesus and is interceding through him. Jesus said in John 12, 49, and also John 5:19 most assuredly i say to you the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do for whatever he does the son also does in like manner this is extremely powerful because if this was not the case if there wasn't the perfect sacrifice of the lord jesus and everything that he accomplished for us, and the priestly intercession for us at the Father's right hand when we sin and fail, there would be no righteous ground for God to have anything to do with us. In fact, God utterly would cease to be good if, in fact, he were to grant forgiveness and grant us favor absent from the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, absent from Jesus' intercession, because he would be standing for injustice and excusing away sin. Friend, that is not what is happening here. God isn't sweeping your sin under the carpet. He has dealt with it completely, removing it as far as the east is from the west, because of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect finished sacrifice on your behalf. And because he is our great high priest, is interceding for us even when we fail. That intercession, that holy intercession, meets us where we are. And that holy, righteous, just, and good intercession of Jesus is what makes the righteous difference so that our Father can happily, continually, and righteously bless us and righteously have favor upon us. And the greatest blessing of all is the gift of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And this is what leads to real, lasting life change and a beautiful relationship with the Lord. 
That's an article that I wrote a few years ago called The Intercession of Jesus and What It Means for Us. Uh, that's uh, I posted that on our website at dailyinchrist.org. Dear friend, Romans 8.34 thunders, who is he who condemns? And then answers, it is Christ. And only Christ has the right to do so, not the devil, not you, and not anyone else. The only one who has the legal right to condemn is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is indeed interceding for you. My dear friend, this is the whole reason why God is indeed for you, not against you. You know, we can think that our standing before God is based somehow on whether we've been good enough or that we've avoided being bad. That would never, ever be enough. No wonder we live our lives thinking the other shoe's going to drop because, well, we think I'm my standing before God is based upon how good I've been, right? And I haven't been quite good enough. No. Your standing before God is a gift of righteousness made possible through Jesus, the righteous one, the just one, and the fact that he is your justifier. Your good standing with God is not based at all upon you or what you do or fail to do. It is based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. One more time, let's read through these incredible verses in Romans chapter 8, 31 to 34. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, as we have focused upon the truth of your holy word with a laser-tight focus brought to us by the Holy Spirit, Lord, we can see that it never was, our standing never was about what we do for you, but about what you in your righteousness and holiness and goodness have done for us. And I want to thank you for that, Lord. My standing with you, our standing with you, has got nothing at all to do with how good or bad we have been, but all because of Jesus and his righteousness and what he has accomplished for us already done 2,000 years ago at the cross. Father, thank you for your welcoming heart of love. Lord, thank you that you have removed the barrier between us and you and have opened the way through your Son, the way, the truth, and the life, through your Son, to be able to enjoy close, 
precious, loving fellowship with you, and to realize that we stand in the same place of full acceptance, full blessing, and full righteousness because of Jesus, our justifier. Thank you for that, Father. I pray in Jesus' name that we would operate in the understanding that's so radical yet true, that you are for us, not against us. Father, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you continue to give us revelation and understanding about these things and your heart from which it all comes. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, the Daily in Christ website is a good place to find out how a friend can learn about listening to the Daily in Christ podcast. Now, podcasts are really, really popular. Um, We started this podcast long before they were popular. I started this back in 2010. And um, yet there are people who don't know how to get a podcast. They don't know how to listen to a podcast. Once you know, it's fairly simple. Uh, It's so easy to be able to enjoy lessons and these episodes. And so you can stop by our website or or direct your friend to the Daily in Christ uh, website at dailyinchrist.org. Most people can do that. And when you get there, you'll see the link on the menu that says podcast. And underneath that, there's a link that says how to get the Daily in Christ podcast. That's at dailyinchrist.org. Of course, our podcast is available on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more popular podcast platforms. Again, you can get more information at dailyinchrist.org. Don't forget when you're there, I just posted that article that I was reading a little earlier in this episode. Now listen, this message, God is for us, that we have shared in the last episode and then in today's episode, is really needed in these troubling times. I started off last week's episode by saying this, that if we go through a trial and wrongly think that God is against us, that can push us into deeper darkness. Maybe you can think of a person a fellow believer in your life, or maybe you've gone through this, where uh, they go through a trial, and then all of a sudden they're not going to church anymore, and they're not going to Bible study anymore, because we get this mentality that God is against us, and so we run from God rather than running to Him. But the plain truth is, believer, God is indeed for you and not against you. And that makes all the difference whenever we are going through the darkest of times. This ministry is dedicated to proclaiming Christ in all his fullness for you. It's dedicated to teaching the grace of God and the new covenant. And it's dedicated to the three great realities. The reality of God himself and the reality of the believer in Christ and the reality of Christ in the believer. Will you please let others know about this ministry and the real hope it brings in these dark times? Point them to the Daily in Christ website at dailyinchrist.org and 
the Daily in Christ podcast. And I want to say thank you for being a part of the solution. I'm Mark Van Oos, reminding you once again of what it says in Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him.